Volume 2, Chapter 11 of the Heidenmauer, or the Benedictines, a legend of the Rhine, by James Fedimore Cooper. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Joel Kendrick. The Heidenmauer, by James Fedimore Cooper, Volume 2, Chapter 11. In a strange land, such things, however trivial, reach the heart, and through the heart, the head, clearing away the narrow notions that grew up at home, and in their place, grafting good will to all. Rogers. It is necessary to advance a few weeks in the order of time, a change that will bring us to the middle of the warm and generous month of July. The hour was towards the close of the day, and the place and scenery such as it is now are duty to describe let the reader imagine a high naked down whose surface was slightly broken by irregularities scarce a tree was visible over the whole of its bald face though a few stunted shrubs betrayed the efforts of the earth to push forth a meagre vegetation the air was pure thin and volatile and together with the soft blue of the void denoted a great elevation above the vapors and the impurities which linger near to regions that lie on the level of the sea notwithstanding these never-failing signs of a mountain country here and there were to be seen distant peaks that shot upward into the fierce light glittering with everlasting frost along one side of this naked expanse the land fell suddenly away towards a long narrow sheet of water which lay a thousand feet below the shores of this lake for such it was were clothed with innumerable white dwellings and garnished with hamlets and vineyards while a walled town with its towers and battlements occasionally darkened the shores but these were objects scarcely to be seen from the precise situation which we desire the mind of the reader to occupy in the distant views always in that direction one favorably placed might have seen a vast range of undulating country stretching towards the north and east that had the usual characteristics of a region in which alpine mountains begin gradually to melt into the plain this region was beautified with several spots of dark blue resembling so many deep reflections of the skies which were sheets of limpid and tranquil water towards the south and west the down was bounded by a natural wall of rude and gray rock that rose in nearly all its line to the elevation of a mountain and which shot up to a giddy height near its center in two pointed cones that by their forms coupled with other circumstances that shall be soon explained had obtained the name of the mitres near the barrier of mountain and almost directly beneath these natural mitres was a small village whose houses constructed of wood had the wide roofs numerous windows and the peculiar resin-like color of swiss habitations the place was a hamlet rather than a village and most of the land around it lay at waste like all that was visible for miles in every direction on a rising ground near the hamlet from which it was separated merely by a large esplanade or green as we should be apt to term the spot stood one of those mazes of roofs chimneys and towers which in that age and indeed even now mark a conventual pile the edifices were large complicated in their forms and order and had been constructed without much architectural knowledge or taste the air of the whole being that of rude but abundant wealth in the centre was a church or chapel evidently of ancient existence and simple origin though its quaint outlines were elaborately decorated after the fashion of times by a variety of afterthoughts and in a manner to show what means were not wanting to render the whole more magnificent and that the fault of the construction lay rather in the first idea than in any subsequent ability or inclination to repair it 
The site of this hamlet and down was in the celebrated Canton of Schwitza, a small district that has since given its name to the heroic confederation that occupies so much of the country among and near the western Alps. Its name was Einzingdin. The monastic buildings belonged to a convent of the Benedictines, and the church contained one of the shrines even then most in repute after that of Loretto. Time and revolutions have since elevated Our Lady of Einzingdin perhaps to the very highest rank among the pilgrimages of the Catholic. For we have lately seen thousands crowding her altars while we found the Santa Casa abandoned chiefly to the care of its guardians or subject to the casual inspection of curious heretics. Having thus described the spot to which the scene is shifted, it is proper to refer to the actors. At a point distant less than a league from the hamlet and on the side of the open down just mentioned, which lies next to the steep ascent from the Lake of Zurich, and in the direction of the Rhine, there came a group of travelers of both sexes and apparently of all ages, between declining manhood and vigorous youth. They were afoot, wearing the garb and symbols of pilgrims. Weariness had caused them to lengthen their line, and they were in pairs, the strongest in front, the feeble and more fatigued in the rear. In advance marched two men. One wore the gown and cowl of a Benedictine, while he carried, like the rest, the staff and wallet of a pilgrim. His companion had the usual mantle decorated with scallop shells and also bore his scrip and stick. The others had the same attire with the usual exceptions that distinguished the sexes. They consisted of two men of middle age who followed those in front, two of each sex in pairs, all still young and active, two females who were in their prime, though wearied and sad, and a maiden who dragged her limbs after them with a difficulty disproportioned to her years. At the side of the latter was a crone, whose infirmities and age had enabled her to obtain the indulgence of an ass, on which she was seated comparatively at her ease, though by a license that had been winked at by the monk, her saddle was encumbered with the scripts of most of the female penitents. In the rear of all came two males who seemed to form a sort of rear guard to the whole party. This group was composed of the prior, an emic who led the van, of Heinrich and Dietrich, the smith, of Gisela and Gottlieb, with the youth and maiden from Durkheim, of Ulrich and Lachchen, of Meta and Ilse, and of Monsieur Latouche and the Knight of Rhodes. These were the penitents chosen to expiate the late offense to the majesty of God by prayers and mortifications before the shrine of Einzindin. The temporal question had been partially put at rest, but the intrigues and influence of the Count, backed as he was by timely applications of gold, and by increasing heresy that had effectually shaken the authority of the Church throughout all Germany, and which had sufficiently apprised the practice Bonifacius and his superiors of the expediency of using great moderation in their demands. St. Benedict, make us thankful, Holy Father, said the Count, as his gratified eye first beheld the long-wished-for roofs of the convent. We have journeyed a weary distance, and this snail's pace, which, in deference to the weak, we are bound to observe, but little suits the impatience of a warrior, accustomed to steed and spur. Thou hast oft visited this sacred shine, pious Arnoff? The monk had stopped, and with a tearful eye he stood gazing in religious reference at the distant pile. Then, kneeling on the grass, he prayed, while the others, accustomed to these sudden demonstrations of zeal, gladly rested their limbs the while. Never before hath I of mine greeted yon holy pile, answered the prior as they slowly resumed their journey, though often in night dreams hath my soul yearned for the privilege. Methinks, father, thou hast little occasion for penitence or pilgrimage, thou whose life hath rolled on in deeds of Christian charity and love. Each day brings its evil, and each day should have its expiation. Truly not in marches over stony and mountain paths like these we travel. 
Eisenden must have a special virtue to draw men so far from their homes to do it honor. Pass the history of the shrine at command, Reverend Pryor? It should be known to all Christians and chiefly to the pilgrim. I had thought thee instructed in these great events. By the Magi, to speak thee honestly, Father Arnoff, the little friendship which hath subsisted between Limburg and my house had been given a disrelish for any Benedictine miracle, let it be of what quality it would. But now that we are likely to be so lovingly united, I could gladly hear the tale which will at least serve to divert our thoughts from a subject so groveling as our own feet. For, to conceal nothing, mine make most inopportune appeals to be at rest. Our journey draweth near its end, but as thy request is reasonable, it shall be answered. Listen then, Emic, and may the lesson profit thy soul. During the reign of the illustrious and warlike Charlemagne, who governed Gaul, with so much of our Germany and the country of the Franks, there lived a youth of the ancient family of Hohenzollern, branches of which still possess principalities and marches in the empire. The name of this learned and pious youth was Maynard. Early fatigued with the vanities of life, he sought a hermitage nearer than this to the banks of that lake which we so lately crossed at Rapperswil. But overburdened by the number of the curious and pious who visited his cell, the holy Maynard, after seven years of prayer, retired to a clear fountain which must still run near yonder church, where another cell and a chapel were built for him, expressly by command of Hildegard, a royal lady, and the abbess of a monastery in the town of Zurich. Father, had he a profitable and happy end in this wild region? Spiritually, nothing could have been more desirable. Temporarily, not more foul. He died by the hands of vile assassins to whom he had rendered hospitality. The deed was discovered by means of two crows who followed the murders to Zurich, where they were taken and executed, at least, so saith tradition. In later age, the holy Maynard was canonized by Benedict the Eighth. For nearly half a century, the cell of Maynard, though in great request as a place of prayer, remained without a tenant. But at the end of that period, Buren, a canon of the House of Burgundy, which house then ruled most of the country far and near, caused the chapel and cell to be repaired replaced the image of blessed mary and devoted his own life to the hermitage the neighboring seigneurs and barons contributed to endow the place and divers holy men joined themselves to the service of the altar from which circumstance the shrine obtained the name of our lady of the hermits its true appellation to this hour it would weary thee to listen to the tale of miracles performed in virtue of their prayers, even in that early and less gifted condition of the place. But its reputation so circulated that many came from afar to see and to believe. In the process of time, a regular community was established, and the church thou seest was erected, containing in its nave the original cell, chapel, and image of St. Maynard. I had thought there was still higher virtue in the place, observed Emic when the prior paused, and seemingly a little disappointed for your deep sinner as little likes a simple dispensation as the drunkard relishes small drinks thou shalt hear when the buildings were completed and it became necessary to consecrate the place agreeably to the forms and usages of the church conrad bishop of constance was invited to discharge the holy office here cometh the wonderful favor of heaven as conrad of constance with other pious men arose to pray at midnight of the day appointed for the service they suddenly heard divine music most sweetly chanted by the angels though sore amazed and impressed they were still sufficiently masters of their reason to discover that the unseen beings sang the prescribed formula of the consecration that office which they were preparing themselves to perform a few hours later satisfied with this especial and wonderful interference conrad would have abstained from repeating a service which had already been thus performed but for the demands and outcries of the ignorant 
But when, after hours of delay, he was about to yield to their impatience, a clear voice three times admonished him of the blasphemy by saying, Cease, brother, thy chapel is divinely consecrated. From that moment the place is so esteemed, and all our rites are performed as at a shrine of high behest and particular virtue. Emic crossed himself devoutly, having listened in perfect faith and with deep interest for at that moment early impressions were stronger than the modern doubts. It is good to be here, father, he reverently answered. I would that Ermengarde and all of my house were at my side. But are there any especial favors accorded to those who come hither in a fitting temper, in the way of temporal gifts or political considerations? Since, being before a shrine so holy, I could fain profit by the sore pains and privations by which the grace is gained. The prior seemed mortified, for though he lent the faith required by the opinions of the age to the tradition he had recounted, he was too well instructed in the true doctrines of the church not to perceive the false bias of his companion's mind. The embarrassment caused a silence during which the reader is to imagine that they passed on, giving place to other personages of the tale. Before turning to another group, however, we desire to say distinctly that in relating the manner of the miraculous consecration of the chapel of Our Lady of the Hermits, we have wished merely to set the tradition before the reader without inferring aught for or against its authenticity. It is well known the belief of these supernatural interferences of divine powers forms no necessary part of doctrine, even in that church which is said to be the most favored by these dispensations. And it is ought always to be remembered that those sects which impugn these visible and physical signs of omnipotence entertain opinions of a more purely spiritual character that are scarcely less out of the course of ordinary and vulgar nature. In cases in which there exist so nice shades of distinction and in which truth is so difficult of discovery, it is our duty to limit ourselves to popular facts, and as such have we given the history of Isenden, its abbey, and its virgin. Heinrich and the smith were the couple next to the count and the prior, and of course they were the next to cross the stage. It is no doubt much, or I may add altogether, as you say, worshipful burgomaster. Brother Pilgrim, ruefully interrupted Heinrich, I should have said, Brother Worshipful Pilgrim, though heaven it knows the familiarity goes nigh to choke me, and it is much as you say that whether we cling to Rome or finally settle quietly into the new worship of Brother Luther, this journey ought in all fairness to be set down to our account as of so much virtue, for look you, Brother Worshipful, it is made at the cost of Christian flesh and blood, and therefore should it be savory without much particularity concerning mere outward appearances? I do not think, were truth spoken, that wielding the sledge a twelve-month would have done this injury to my feet. Have mercy on thyself and me, good smith, and think less of these trifling grievances. What heaven wills must happen, else would one of thy merit have risen higher in the world. Thanks, worshipful brother pilgrim and burgomaster. I will bethink me of resignation, though these wire-drawn pains are never to the liking of your men of muscle and great courage. A knock o' the head or the bullet of an arquebus gives less uneasiness than smaller griefs much endured. Were things properly governed, the penances and pilgrimages and other expiations of the church would be chiefly left to the women. We shall see hereafter how Luther hath ordered this, but having ourselves embarked in this journey for the good of Durkheim, to say nothing of our own souls, it behoveth us to hold out manfully, a duty the more easily performed as we can now see the end of it. To speak thee fair, Dietrich, I do not remember ever to have beheld Benedictine abode with so much joy as this we see at yonder mountain's foot. 
Be of cheer, most honorable and excellent brother, worshipful pilgrim. The trial is near its end, and if we come thus far to do this honor to our own community, why, himmel, it is but the price paid for getting rid of another. Be of cheer truly, brother Smith, for it is but some kneeling and a few stripes that each is to apply to his own back, after which the return will reasonably be more joyous than the advance. Encouraged by each other, the devotees hobbled on, their heavy massive frames yielding at every step, like those of overgrown oxen which had been but indifferently shod. As they passed by, their places were filled by the four of whom Gisela and Gottlob formed a part. Among these the discourse was light and trifling, for bodily fatigue had little influence on the joyous buoyancy of such spirits, especially at a moment when they saw before them the immediate termination of their troubles. Not so with those that came next. These were Ulrich and her friend, who moved along the path like those who were loaded with griefs of the soul. "'God is among these hills as he is in our plains, Lachchen,' said the former, continuing the discourse. "'Yon temple is his shrine, as was that of Limburg, and it is as vain for man to think of forgetting him on earth as it would be to invade him in that heaven which is his throne. What he doth is wise and will endeavor to submit.' The words of Ulrich were perhaps more touched with resignation than her manner. The latter, though subdued, was filled with sorrow, and her voice was tremulous nearly to tears. Though the exhibition of her melancholy was deep and evident, it was of a character which denotes no extinction of hope. On the other hand, the features, eye, and entire manner of her friend bore the heavy and fatal impress of incurable woe. "'God is among these hills,' repeated Lockchin, though she scarce seemed to hear the words. "'God is among these hills.' We approach a much-esteemed shrine, dearest Lockchin. The being in whose name it hath been raised will not permit us to depart from it unblessed. We shall be blessed, Ulrich. Thou dwellest hopelessly on thy loss, my Lockchin. Would thou had less thought of the past and more of the future? The smile with which the widow regarded her friend was full of anguish. I have no future, Ulrich, but the grave. Dearest Lockchin, we will speak of this holy shrine. Emotion smothered her voice. "'Speak of what thou wilt, my friend,' answered the childless widow with a frightful calm. "'I see no difference in subjects.' "'Blockchen! Not when we discourse of heaven!' The widow bowed her vacant eyes to earth, and they passed on. Their footsteps were succeeded by those of the beast ridden by Ilse and by the faltering tread of Meta. "'Aye, yon is the shrine of Our Lady of the Hermits,' said the former. "'A temple of surpassing virtue! Well, heaven is not in churches and chapels, and that of Limburg may yet be spared!' the more especially as the brotherhood was far from being of unexceptionable lives keep up thy heart meta and think not of weariness for not a pain dost thou now bear that will not be returned to thee another day in joy or in some other precious gift this is heaven's justice which is certain to requite all equally for good or evil well a day it is this certainty that comforteth the godly and giveth courage to the tottering she spoke to an insensible listener the countenance of Meta, like that of Lockchen, expressed hopelessness, though it were in less palpable and certain signs. The eye was dull but wandering, the cheek pale, the mouth convulsive and at times compressed. The step languid and the whole being of this young and innocent creature seemed wasting under a premature and unnatural blight. She looked at the convent with indifference, though it brought relief to her bodily pains. The mountains rose dark and rugged near, or glittered in the distance like hills of alabaster without giving birth to a single exclamation of delight which these scenes are known to excite in young breasts and even the pure void above was gazed at though it seemed to invite to a more tranquil existence with vacuity and indifference 
Ah's me, continued Ilse, whose observation rarely penetrated beyond her own feelings, and whose tongue was never known to wax weary. Ah's me, Meta, oh, it must be a wicked world that needs all these pilgrimages and burnings. But they are only types, child, of the past and of the future, of the has-been and of the to-come. First life is a pilgrimage and a penance, though few of us think so while journeying on its way, but so it is to all, especially to the little favored. But a penance it is, by means of our ailings and other infirmities, particularly in age. And the burnings of convents and villages are types of the burnings of the wicked. Thou dost not answer, child. Dost think, nurse, that they who die by fire are blessed? Of what art speaking, Meta? Poor Burkhold Hintermeyer perished, as thou knowest, in the flames of Limburg. So did Father Johann, and so did one far more evil than either. Oh, I could reveal secrets, and I not a prudent tongue. But wisdom lieth in prudence, and I say not. Therefore, Meta, be thou silent. I will obey thee, nurse. The tones of the girl trembled, and the smile with which she gladly acquiesced in the demand of Ilse was such as the sinking invalid gives the kind attendant. Thou art dutiful, and it is a merit. I never knew thee more obedient and less given to merriment or girlish exclamations than on this pilgrimage, all of which shows that thy mind is in a happy state for these holy offices. Well a day! The pious Arnoff has halted, and now we are about in sooth to reap the virtue of all our labors. Oh, and I had been a monk, thou wouldst have had a leader. Ilse beat the sides of the patient animal she rode, and Meta toiled after, as well as her trembling limbs permitted. The knight and the abbe came last. Thou hast made many of these pious expiations, reverend abbe, observed the former when they had risen the hill which commanded a view of the convent. Never another. Had not chance made me an innocent participator in the destruction of Limburg, this indignity would have been spared. How? Callest thou a pilgrimage and a prayer at a shrine in indignity? Thou a churchman? Gallant knight, I speak to thee as to a comrade of many days and of weary passages as one enlightened. Thou knowest the constitution of earth and the divers materials that compose society. We have doctrines for all, but practices must be mitigated like medicaments to the sick. Your pilgrimage is well enough for the peasant or the citizen or even for your noble of the provinces, but their merit is much questioned among us of the capitals. Unless indeed there should mingle some hope for the future, but penance for deeds accomplished we hold to be supererogatory. By my rapier, no such doctrine was in vogue at Rhodes, where all ordinances were much respected and uniformly admitted. And had ye these familiar practices of religion in your daily habits, Sir Knight? I say not in practice, but ever in admission. Thou knowest the distinction, Sir Abbey, between the purity of doctrine and some constructions of practice. That, doubtless. Were we to tie the gentle down to all the observances and exactions of a severe theory, there would grow up numberless inconveniences. For myself, had it been possible to preserve the ecclesiastical character without penance, under the odium of this unhappy but accidental visit to our host the Count, I could have dispensed with the last act of the drama. Tis whispered, Herr Latouche, my cousin bethought him that the presence of an ecclesiastic might prove a cloak to his intentions, and that we might owe the pleasure of thy agreeable society to a policy that is deeper than chance. Albrecht of Weiderbach laughed as he intimated the ruse of Emic, and his companion who had long perceived how completely he had been the dupe of his host, for in truth he knew nothing previously of the intended assault, was fain to make the best of his situation. 
He laughed in his turn as the loose of principle make light of any misadventure that may happen to be the consequence of their laxity of morals, and pressing each other on their several parts in the late events, the two proceeded leisurely toward the spot where the prior and Emic, as leaders of the party, had now come to a halt. We shall profit by the occasion to make some necessary explanations. We are too much accustomed in this Protestant country to believe that most of the piety of those who profess the religion of Rome consists in externals. When the great antiquity of this church shall be remembered, as well as the great tendency in the early ages to imitate the forms and habits of their immediate predecessors, it should not occasion surprise if some observances were retained that cannot very clearly be referred either to apostolic authority or to reason. The promulgation of abstract truth does not necessarily infer a departure from those practices which may have become of value by use, even though they may not materially assist in the attainment of the great end. We have inherited many of the vestments and ceremonies which are retained in the Protestant churches from pagan priests, nor is there any sufficient motive for abandoning them so long as they aid the decencies of worship without weakening its real objects. The pagans themselves probably derive some of these very practices from those whom we are taught to believe held direct communion with God, and should have best known in what manner to render human adoration most acceptable to the ruler of the universe. In this country, Catholicism in its limited and popular meaning is no longer Catholic since it is in so small a minority as to have no perceptible influence on the opinions or customs of the country. The outward symbols, the processions, and all the peculiar ceremonies of the Romish church are confined to the temples, and the eye rarely or never meets any evidence of its existence beyond their walls. But in Europe, the reverse is altogether the case more particularly in those countries in which the spiritual sway of the head of the church has not been interrupted by any adventitious changes proceeding from political revolutions or powerful causes the crucifix the spear the cock the nails and the sponge are erected at crossroads chapels dedicated to mary are seen near many a spring or at the summit of some weary mountain while the usual symbols of redemption are found scattered along the highways marking the site of some death by accident or the scene of a murder in no part of the other hemisphere are these evidences of faith and zeal more common than in the catholic cantons of switzerland hermitages are still frequent among the rugged rocks of that region and it is usual to see near these secluded abodes a sort of minor chapel that is termed in ordinary language a station these stations are so many tabernacles raised by the wayside each containing a representation of one of the twelve sufferings of christ they are met equally on the side of vesuvius overlooking the glorious sea and land of that unequalled country among the naked wastes of the apennines or buried in gorgeous groves as accident may have determined their location in some of the valleys of switzerland these little tabernacles dot the mountainside for miles indicating by zigzag lines and white walls the path that leads from the village beneath to some shrine that is perhaps perched on the pinnacle of a naked rock or which stands on a spur of the nearest range the shrine of isenden possessed the usual number of these tabernacles stretching along the path that communicated with the lake of zurich they were designed in the customary manner each alluding to some one of these great personal afflictions that preceded the crucifixion and each having sentences of holy writ to incite the pious to devotion here the pilgrims ordinarily commenced the worship peculiar to that place and it was here that the prior now awaited his companions end of volume two chapter eleven read by joel kendrick